Hi, I'm Jenna Kane. And I'm Allison Petton. Welcome to the Comcast, where we will explore the many ways that you can find your calm. Okay, Jenna, I'm delighted to be here for another podcast recording with you and to have our guest of today. It feels really important to talk about what we're going to talk about today because it's a it's a hard thing to talk about. I know myself as a psychologist and someone who's been doing this now for six or seven years and specializing in trauma, I still find it difficult to work with grief and to show up in a way that's supportive and not maybe get pulled into some of those emotions mm-hmm. even with the client. So I'm really happy that we have Michelle here to talk to us today. She's a clinical counselor here at The Calm Place, and she specializes in grief and life transitions. Yes, welcome, Michelle. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Very happy to have this chat, even though it's about grief. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that we will all struggle with, mm-hmm. and we will all go through. Yeah. So it's important to find ways to navigate the experience and have spaces to talk to about at it. it. Yeah. 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 I think our first our first defense often with something like this is to look away yeah. or to avoid even even though it is as inevitable as you're naming that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? There's, there's a lot of hard feelings involved in grief. Yeah. And uh, it's difficult to be with it and it's difficult to watch others. Yeah. How did you know that you wanted to pursue that as your sort of niche as a therapist? Um, so I think there's a combination of personal and professional reasons. Mm-hmm. So I myself, um, you know, I've, as a human being, I've experienced a change and loss over my lifetime. Yep. And uh, I've been privileged to have really great support mm-hmm. through those things. And so I've been able to learn and appreciate that uh, as difficult as it is to lose and as difficult as some life transitions can be um, we can get through them Mm -hmm. and we can also often learn things about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise um, deepen our relationships with ourselves and with other people Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah and that's important for people to know that it's possible to mm-hmm. get through, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it's it's not something that a lot of people. I think we're really good at showing up for people initially yeah. Yeah. when they experience a loss. You know, we bring all the food, and mm-hmm. we're you know, and right now we're talking about loss in in losing your right. person. Um, and we bring food, and we go to wakes, and we go to funerals, and all of those things. But um, after a couple of weeks, when everyone returns to their normal, yeah, yeah. and you can't, mm-hmm. and normal just doesn't look the same as it did, that's when it gets really hard. Of course. And that's when the supports stop, right? right? Yeah. The supports are there at the beginning, the mm-hmm. logistics, the initial yeah. shock or experience, and yeah. then after that, your supports tend to disappear. And I don't think that 
most often anyway, doesn't come from a malicious place, no, right? No. It's just the way things are. Yeah. Yeah. Because life like does, does go, go on. Yeah. Your world has stopped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the world itself hasn't. Yeah. Right? And it's really hard to come to terms with and try to navigate mm-hmm. because your mind, your brain is trying to get used to the life without your person. Yeah. And that's a lot to wrap your mind around. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember when in in the recent couple of years a close friend of mine lost someone and I sort of caught myself being a little more hyper aware of that um, as a supporter in that it felt strange or wrong for me to post what I was doing mm-hmm. you know after a couple of weeks and and the acute state stage of it you know I guess sort of passed for me anyway as a right. supporter and but I still felt wrong having fun or posting in my story and she said you know what yeah like I, I don't like looking at it like I don't like seeing that you're all moving on and having fun and doing mm-hmm. your thing and so there's um a space for it all I, I suppose and maybe just being honest and and showing up with the truth of what that's like can help right. us move through it exactly and that's that's part of the acceptance piece mm-hmm. right yeah you know you're you're having to accept that well life does go on for you right and but you also are sensitive enough to respect that mm-hmm. that probably your friend has feelings about that yeah yeah right yeah so how lucky yeah. For mm-hmm. your friend to have that, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you name acceptance. So maybe that leads us into the probably most well-known topic around grief, which is discussed for a long time now. Yeah. The stages. Yes. So what what yeah. do we think about that? So um, well, so the stages of grief. That's mm-hmm. something that a lot of people here have heard yeah. of and know a little bit about. Yeah. Um, when you are going through grief due to some sort of loss or transition in your life, we find ourselves often just trying to understand the experience. So we start Googling and just trying to find out what we can to make sense of what we're going through. And one of the first things you'll come across are the five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. So the five stages of grief um, comes from a book written by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a psychiatrist, and she wrote the book. It was published in 1969, Mm. and it was based on her observations of watching people um, go through the process of nearing the end of life and passing. Their own end of life. Their own end of life, yeah. Yeah. So the experience of people who are dying. Yeah, right. And from her observations, mm-hmm. she conceptualized these stages. Mm-hmm. And so the name of her book was Five Stages of, or sorry, on, on Death and Dying. And her model or the theory right. of grief to come from that were the five stages of grief. And those five stages, as we'll, you, you know, may have already heard about, mm-hmm. are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So... The unfortunate thing about only knowing about the five stages, not really understanding where all they came from, um, if you only see the little snippet of mm-hmm. five stages of grief, right. and you see those five things and they're numbered in order, um, we can sometimes then misunderstand that grieving is this step-by-step process right. in that order, and 
you start comparing your experience to that step-by-step -step process. And that's unfortunate when it ha when that happens because that wasn't the original intention of that particular publication, but also grief is anything but linear yes. or a step-by-step -step process, and each of those particular experiences are not, or feelings or stages, yeah. are not the only ones that you have in grief, and you can experience them more than once. Right. right. Yeah, you yeah. can move around. You can, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So someone might think five stages and compare what they're going through and think, but wait now, sad, feeling sad was this, you know, or uh, angry or depressed. That was part of it, and I already did that. Why am I feeling like this again? Mm -hmm. Or I thought I had I must accepted not, it. Yeah, there must be something wrong, and then right. that gets activated. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. I'm not over this. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And I should be. Right, and like this thing. model tells me I should be. Right, yeah. and when we layer on, um, I guess shame yeah. or right. the way you're feeling or judgment for how you're doing compared to a certain process you think that you know you should be following <laughs> somehow yeah. Yeah. in the midst of a, a, a loss, it's just not helpful. It does not help you, Yeah. right? And added to that is the um, the expectation also that there's a timeline or a time period yeah. that um, we should also be adhering to somehow. <laughs> yeah, like work culture. Yeah. You know, how many days do people get? Like three? Two, three, yeah. Yeah. Two, three days, right? And only if it's a family member that's deemed right. sort of, I don't know, acceptable, right? right? Like my grandparent could have maybe been someone who raised me yeah. or, or even not, right? But someone that... I have that really strong connection to and I might need a bereavement day, but if it's not your mom or your dad or, you know, mm. there's a lot of constraints around who even qualifies yeah. for you to take a bereavement day for. It's yeah. it's kind of outrageous. It is. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. And also um, invalidating. Yeah. Exactly. It's a really good it's word. It's like, oh God, I'm really upset and I'm really struggling with this loss, but they were a cousin. Or yeah. I had my three days off. Right. Or I should be okay. Like, now. I should be okay mm -hmm. now. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard too, even logistically, not to get too much into this, but then on the back end of things, if somebody really needs that extra time and then perhaps I step in as the psychologist to sign off on some extra time, but then they're dipping into their short term or long term disability and then it's mm -hmm. activating all this yeah. other stuff, which really is just an extra stressor in their life when it's not helping. all that's meant to happen right now is is the grieving. Yeah. 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 And it's, it seems like I'm, you know, just talking to some clients mm -hmm. that some workplaces now are becoming a little more flexible mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. okay. Like, for example, um, having a undetermined number of mental health days. Right. Oh, that's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. When I had yeah. someone share that with me, I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. But that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Good for that company. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Right. Yeah. Great. There's a yeah. couple companies that are really like that. I think a couple yeah. of the, couple of the banks, their benefits include like ten thousand wow. dollars coverage for mental health support, which is fabulous because you yeah. can use that for a number of different reasons. Yes. Yeah. Right? right. Like this as an example. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we've kind of learned a little bit about these five stages of grief now, in the sense that a lot of us are misusing it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't intended to be your personal experience 
um, when you've had a loss, nor was it meant to be a linear stage. Mm-hmm. So kind of how can you support someone who comes to you with that this idea of I'm supposed to be going through these stages? Yeah, so like in terms of how do I support clients yeah. who are going with that? Yeah. So first I educate them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, usually first when someone comes for support, um, there's usually tearfulness mm-hmm. and apologizing for that. But they're coming, and this might be the first time where they've had a space mm-hmm. where they can actually be honest about how much they're struggling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, there's space for that, and no judgment for that, and that's normalized. It's okay to be tearful, right. and crying is actually really healthy yeah. for your nervous system, yeah. and regulating and releases tension. Yeah. So it's actually quite important to cry. Not to make yourself cry, but like if you're feeling, you need right. to cry. Right. That's why it's called a good cry. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it actually does release mm-hmm. hormones in your body mm-hmm. that help your body relax. Right. Yeah. Right? And the parts of your brain that go offline when you're in a stress response. Yeah. And come back online and can work again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we, I usually start there. So, um, making space for you know that it's okay to feel whatever you are feeling right now in this moment and if they question well you know I feel like I should be further along than what I Mm -hmm. am but I've read about the five stages and feels like I'm stuck here or there then I'll explain well do you do you know where those five stages come from and it's actually not a step-by-step process Mm -hmm. and um, what's helpful for people is to understand that it's okay to be where you are right and then um, I usually work from a place of um, a combination of a few things so self-compassion yeah and uh, radical acceptance or acceptance and I can chat a little bit more yeah. about that mm-hmm. uh, and mindfulness-based stress reduction strategies and sometimes music yeah <laughs> yeah what a beautiful combination. Yeah, it's a, they yeah. they all complement each other yeah. very well. Those um, yeah those approaches. So, uh, self compassion, of course, is offering yourself the same kindness and understanding uh, as a good friend who is going through the same thing you are. Mm-hmm. So, like, would you sit and across from mm-hmm. a friend of yours who is grieving and say? Yes, now, but uh, it's time to move on. Yeah, yeah. you should be over this yeah, by now. This yeah, by haven't now. you been in step two for a while? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. It's your third Mother's Day without your mom. Come on, <laughs> right? That well, you know, we would never say those mm-hmm. things, yeah. but we say those things to, to ourselves. ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. We're so just ourselves. yeah. So becoming aware mm-hmm. that when you're doing that and how you're doing that, and kind of shifting mm-hmm. and uh, working on what's a kinder way I can talk to myself mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah. um, and having patience and grace for yourself yeah. during this process right I like some of the the work that I've seen on social media that Megan Devine has put forward mm-hmm. the yeah. refuge in refuge is that yeah the right way to say that word in yeah. grief yeah. Um, and and she normalizes even the the most obscure things, mm. you know, like not washing the sheets for a year, mm. or you know, needing um, to to eat the same thing, or you know, whatever some of these more um, unique ways that yeah. the grieving shows up, and I I think it's really powerful to normalize all of it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because people don't want to share those things because right. they're 
afraid it's outside the realm of normal. Right. And it means they're not okay. Yeah. How can you be okay when you yeah. lose your person? Yeah. yeah. Right? You know. Yeah. You will be okay, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you will learn to integrate the mm-hmm. experience of your loss right. and learn to live again in a way that is different from before and has to be. Mm-hmm. But that takes time, and it takes support, and it takes self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the radical acceptance yeah, piece. Yeah. Um, so radical acceptance Sometimes people hear that and it's like, what in the world? Radical. Mm. That's a kinky pastor, we're radical, yeah. right? So radical acceptance um, really is about being honest, coming to terms with the reality of what has happened, the reality of life, your life, and the impact of that on you. Mm-hmm. It's not about, sometimes when we hear radical acceptance, we think, oh, that means being A-okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting over it perfectly zen when your world has just fallen apart Mm -hmm. and it's not it's about coming to terms with what has happened um, and the impact on you and that could mean really being honest that about I feel like I'm not sure if I can ever be okay again Mm -hmm. or I'll never be the same again or life will never be the same like it's okay to feel like that because actually the reality is that things have changed. So it's a really difficult bridge to cross when you are going from life before your loss or a significant transition to life after. They're going to look different. Mm-hmm. And so the job of a counselor, a therapist, mm-hmm. is to walk with you on that bridge. Yeah. And there's no rush. On that bridge mm-hmm. but we walk together sometimes we might have to pause sit down <laughs> for a little <laughs> bit right spend a bit of time other times we might go backwards a little bit but it's two steps forward one step back sometimes you've got to revisit a quote-unquote stage or failing mm-hmm. and then we we continue our walk mm-hmm. together and being with you through all the feelings all of the anger the denial the depression Mm -hmm. sadness um i also just wanted to add there's a couple of other experiences there that people often come for for support and not realizing that they're actually part of grief that's anxiety that's a big one Mm. so people you know are this comes up a lot with parental loss Mm -hmm. because um you know our parents are just foundational in our lives and so significant so when you lose somebody really really close Mm -hmm. um it really shakes the rug you know pulls the rug out from you shakes your foundation Mm -hmm. so um anxiety can be a big part of the grief experience you start worrying about the same thing happened to somebody else really close to you or happening to yourself Mm -hmm. and it's like your mortality is kind of looking you right in the face yeah Right, mm-hmm. so it can be a lot. Yeah. Um, Claire Bidwell Smith is a grief therapist whose work I often recommend to people mm-hmm. who are having that experience, okay. because it's been her life's work um, to address the experience of anxiety in grief. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she has written the book 
um, anxiety, the missing stage of grief. Mm, (laughs) She has a website and podcast and all that where she explores it all. So that's very validating for people, right, when they hear that. Um, And the other, um, say, stage, I hate saying that, but the other (laughs) experience um, is, uh, so David Kessler Mm -hmm. is another grief expert um, who actually worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And they wrote books together, mm-hmm. and so he um, most recently published a book called Finding Meaning, mm-hmm. uh, The Sixth Stage of Grief. Yeah. And I know, I mean, there must be like copyright on yeah. our stages <laughs> or something like that, because, yeah. you know, he has a very clear um, forward in his book that states that he has the family's blessing right. of Elizabeth Kubler's or has to call this to official. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very official. Right. So, um, but anyway, mm-hmm. bottom line is that it is, um, finding meaning is something that we really don't think we can mm-hmm. through loss. And sometimes even mentioning that can almost feel offensive, yeah. right? It's like almost feels like someone might be suggesting that you try to find a silver lining yeah. in right. your loss or something like that. Or this happened for a purpose. Yeah, there's a reason for everything. Yeah. And, you know, like for most people, that's not helpful to hear. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because actually, the reality of life is that not all things make sense. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's some really unfair things that happened. Yeah. And some things that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And some people mm-hmm. who shouldn't have been taken as soon mm-hmm. as they were. So finding meaning is not about uh, silver linings yeah. of loss. It is a deepening um, relationship with this whole experience of loss. And includes such things as learning what your purpose will be again yeah. in your life going forward. Finding a purpose yeah. sometimes, even, mm-hmm. right? Um, really appreciating the fact that you can bring aspects of your person with you as you get start moving in your life in a way that is manageable for you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's just, you know, very basic when you're in the throes of grief. And finding ways to keep and feel the presence in your life, right? That might be something as simple as baking a certain recipe that was really special to your person. Right. It might be, um, you know, in the early days, having some time each day where you are reflecting and thinking about, and sometimes even journaling too, or about your person. It's like ta- being intentionally, taking the time to intentionally reflect um, and figure out and be with all of the feelings that you're going through mm-hmm. and what it all means for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple um, clients that it seems like it was really helpful for them to almost like find a new relationship with the person that they lost yeah. so like this person doesn't need to be gone from my life completely they may be physically but I can sort of continue a relationship with them now it just looks a little bit different yeah and a lot of people are not even like have never considered that mm-hmm. it's like they're gone and that's it now 
right? Mm. But you absolutely, that's one of the things that David Kessler writes a lot about because he had, he experienced loss. He lost his mother very young, um, but also more recently lost a son mm. and um, talks a lot about that, that it actually is possible to have a relationship with your person, although they have left the earth. There's a lot of different beliefs about that, and a lot of that can be informed by your religious beliefs. Right. Yeah. You know, your own sense of spirituality, whatever, you know, how you try to make sense of life and right. this world and human existence. Mm -hmm. So there's space for all of it, because you yeah. get to decide. Right, exactly. You get to decide. What you believe, right? you mean. What you believe. Right. Yeah. It's and a very different experience from one who believes that their person soul is is still around or that they will meet them again versus someone who believes that's the end yeah you know cut the, and, and not that one is wrong or right because right. we, we don't know right just different but it would be a different experience mm -hmm. regardless mm -hmm. yeah and even if you don't believe in any afterlife mm -hmm. or um you can still feel the presence mm -hmm. of your person sure. in different ways that are meaningful for you, yeah. right? Yeah, playing right? your favorite song. Or yeah, like absolutely. You like you said, baking. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah. yeah, like when you had brought in those cookies and they tasted the closest I've ever come to Nanny Penton's cookies, <laughs> who is my nanny who passed in 2015. And I, that made my day, and I was... You know, so yeah. activated by it in a beautiful way, yeah. but it really, you know, she felt present that day because the cookie tasted like her cookie. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, and that has nothing to do with religion or spirituality. No. So, right, yeah, but it's yeah. a really special way of showing like how you can have that relationship with yeah. her still, yeah. right? Yeah, like yeah. through and food, feel, and through. yeah, 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 mm. absolutely, and and we can we can actually look for those things mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean mm -hmm. like we yeah. can you know a lot of times clients will share with me about these coincidences that happened right. in their day mm -hmm. and they're like I don't know like it was just too much of a coincidence mm -hmm. for it to not mean something yeah yeah right mm -hmm. and I'll say to them look you can make that mean whatever yeah. brings you comfort exactly. yeah you get to decide yes yeah. mm -hmm. right mm-hmm yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about grief in the sense of losing a person. Yeah. But we know there's, you know, grief can apply to a lot of other areas of our lives. It's not just bereavement. So can you speak a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. So grief and bereavement. Bereavement usually refers to the state of loss, okay. right? And when we think of bereavement, it's typically the early days of loss, right someone's in bereavement that's what we usually mm -hmm. think about um, grief is the response to the loss okay. right like the emotional response mm -hmm. and the experience like how it's impacting your functioning even like your cognition sometimes your physical it can be physical impacts of grief right. you know mm -hmm. um, yeah and so grief is a part of bereavement Absolutely, but bereavement is not necessarily the only cause of grief. Right, right. Because loss and change in our lives mm -hmm. can cause us mm -hmm. to experience grief. Mm -hmm. So, in addition to loss, like the loss of your person, 
Um, there's a lot of other kinds of losses that we go through in life that can yeah. leave us feeling similarly. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So those losses and transitions. So not just losing people, but pet loss. Yeah. You know, our animals can become very much members of our families. Yeah. And we have a deep sense of grief when we lose them. For sure. Right? And sometimes that's invalidated if you haven't had that bond with an animal. Yeah. But let me tell you, people grieve their pets mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as much as they grieve their people sometimes. Yeah. It's not everyone's experience, but it is something yeah, else. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, loss mm -hmm. of health. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes people go through mm -hmm. uh, chronic illnesses mm -hmm. or you know, get diagnosed with the disease and they experience grief. Yeah. Right. Especially when there's uncertainty or course, yeah. not knowing like what's gonna happen mm -hmm. and all the other ways it's gonna impact their lives and the people around them. So health changes absolutely. Mm -hmm. Relationship loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So separations, divorces, yeah. Yeah. estrangements, mm -hmm. family dynamics. Yeah can yeah. sometimes happen as a result of bereavement. Right. right. See a lot of that. You know, this is when a lot of family dynamics really come to the forefront. Mm -hmm. right. It's when there's a significant loss. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that can be really yeah. difficult to navigate. I've also seen parents experience grief when they have this vision for the lives of their children and when the child maybe doesn't necessarily go this path that they the parent envisioned or mm -hmm. for whatever reason like they're really grieving that experience too true yeah so um, parents can grieve when their child sometimes makes a different life choice exactly like occupation and education wise sometimes parents also go through a specific grief if their child transitions yeah mm -hmm. right and um you know, so there's a lot of different ways we grieve as parents, <laughs> and I am one, yeah. when our kids leave home. Oh. <laughs> I can say that because I have a son about to graduate high school, and he's leaving. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there's grief there. Um, mm -hmm. Also, like, financial changes can sometimes bring up grief. So when you lose a job. Right. Or there's, a, you know, a devastating loss financially through, you know, Whatever reason, mm -hmm. could be gambling addiction, could be no fault of your own, something tanks with your investments, like yeah. Yeah. who knows? But something that impacts you significantly um, financially can cause grief. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm leaving anything out. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think the messaging is that it's not a one size fits all. It's not just death, first right. of all. Yep. It's grief is your own experience. So yeah. there's probably not. A finite, list. a finite list, right? Right, and mm -hmm. so that's what it comes down to: your own personal experience mm -hmm. and respecting your own experience enough mm -hmm. to know that yeah. your feelings are valid. Yeah, and if you're struggling, you're struggling. Right. So if you need help, you need help. So yeah. shaming yourself or minimizing mm -hmm. your experience is not it's not helpful. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. being honest. So. Being honest with yourself about the impact of what you've been through mm -hmm. is number one. And then you go from there. That's great. Um, mindfulness based stress reduction. Um, I think you've had other guests talk about this, but the um, so mindfulness mm -hmm. being um, focusing your awareness on 
what's happening right now, yep. so the present moment, right? So mindfulness-based stress reduction strategies um, can be really helpful when people are going through the grief experience um, because a lot of times we find ourselves, when we're grieving, very much focused on the past, of course, because we're remembering, and it's not what we want to let go of, yeah. right? Or um, anxiety about the future, right? Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is bringing our attention, even if it's just for a little bit at a time throughout mm -hmm. your day, on the present. It gives your mind a break yep. from the past or the future. Mm -hmm. Plus, um, it allows you to get in touch with how you're really doing. Right. So what's going on in your mind? Mm -hmm. How are you feeling in your body? Yeah. And mindfulness-based stress reduction strategies tend to be somatic, yep. right? They tend to focus on the breath. They tend to get you in touch with what's happening physically because grief will manifest that way, absolutely. And ways to take care of yourself. Right. Specific strategies to tend to mm. and care for your body mind. Yeah. Because the opposite of that are the strategies of avoidance. Yes. Right. Yeah. So we want to so greatly protect ourselves from the pain yeah. that we won't look at it. We won't stop to feel. Right. So instead, we actually don't know how we're doing. Mm -hmm. And then it comes out sideways. Oh, and yes. it shows up in <laughs> these sneaky ways and leaks out <clears throat> all over the place. And we, we don't even know, perhaps, that it's grief. Right. Or that we're still not finished processing the loss yeah. or the thing that happened six months ago or a year ago. Yeah. Which sort of brings me to, to maybe pick your brain a little bit about the timeline. So I know that we're saying mm. and that we, we all here agree, no doubt, that there's no timeline. Yeah. But at what point do we perhaps look out for more supports? Like, is yeah. there a certain timeline where someone would show up and they are really still symptomatic or things aren't shifting and a certain amount of time has passed that you might want to look at perhaps medication or yeah. bringing someone else in. Yeah, I know. So it's, you know, I have conflicted feelings about that yeah. and, you know, some thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, and it's a real point of contention, yeah. honestly, even in the wellness field. Right. Because there is a prolonged grief disorder, like yeah. it's in the DSM. Yeah. Um, and, and they so, say after six months, right? Right. Yeah. So that seems very early. <clears throat> yeah, and it is. So yeah. usually, you know, I, I try to keep it to the individual's experience and the context of their lives. Yeah. So if someone's coming in struggling and they've been struggling for six months, but they haven't had access to any support or right. coping strategies. Yeah. Mm. It's almost like you're starting at the beginning. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And sometimes I, you know, most people are only with me for a few months. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. To work to be with them over that bridge, yeah. to learn strategies, mm -hmm. to validate their experience. Mm -hmm. So I I tend to start there. Yeah. Like, how have you been coping so far? Mm -hmm. What's your support been like? Yeah. Have you had a space to actually be honest with how you're feeling? Mm -hmm. And sometimes people haven't. Or sometimes they've been coping by staying busy. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, see they, that all the time. everything kind of, like, they catch themselves, they been drinking too much yep. or you know they realize they've been coping in ways that are not 
helpful for them mm-hmm. and they're like, uh oh, okay, this is a problem now. Or something happens in life and they're forced to slow down, that busyness yeah. stops and then it hits them. Yeah. And yeah. and because grief, like it reduces your capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like if you have a huge loss and you go on for a few months with that limited capacity and then something else yep. challenging mm-hmm. happens yeah. and then you're down to like two percent capacity yeah. as opposed yeah. to you know and then it becomes okay I reach my breaking point yeah. and yeah. it's all unmanageable now because the weight of this experience on top of the weight of the grief I was carrying already yeah. is just unbearable and mm. often then a lack of awareness that it was originally the grief grief at the root yeah right yeah so yeah. looking at oh well why can't I handle this thing that just happened mm. which which is why I think it's so important for us as therapists to look at the last you know several years of history yeah because often people either can't or won't make those associations with the impact that some of these events actually may have yeah, had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm overwhelmed at work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then you look and it's like, oh, you also lost your mom last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So history is, is, I find, really important in my yeah. practice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And people's mental health history, too. Like yeah. You have a history yeah. like of anxiety mm-hmm. and depression. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that does affect your threshold. Right. And that's one. okay. Of course. That can be supported. Yeah. Right? So I tend to just start there um, in how supported a person has been Mm -hmm. and what their coping strategies have been. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'll go from there in offering both a space to do the talk therapy, like talking and processing the loss, as well as sharing new strategies that they may not have had access to before or haven't tried or didn't give a chance. Right. Right. And then, you know, um, if there is, if all of these things, none of it is working and none of it is, you know, impacting them positively. Um, And I do also start with, like, especially if a client has experienced extreme fatigue or, you know what I mean, really physical, like, just see your doctor. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know that's easier said than done sometimes, (laughs) but, you know, rule out any physical causes also, like, you know, women we could have low iron right you could have you know there could be a thyroid issue you know pains in your stomach sometimes that is grief can you know mm-hmm. our anxiety yeah but also there could be other things going on yeah maybe you haven't been taking such great care of yourself because you've been preoccupied with your grief exactly yeah right so yeah, looking at people's point. sleep and yeah. nutrition yeah. and those things too because it's it's not all up here. Right. You know, I'm pointing to my brain. <laughs> it's very much, yeah. you know, it's a lot of things that contribute to our wellness, yeah. as you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, you know, there's some teaching. There's some sharing. There's um, grief has to be witnessed in order to be processed. Yeah. So there's making space for sharing what their experience Can has been. Can say that again? Because that was a strong sentence. Yeah. Grief needs to be witnessed yeah. in order to be processed. In order to be yeah. processed, yeah. That's, that's I wish I really could... really yeah. encapsulates it, I think. That's yeah. David Kessler's work. That's what he says. Right. Okay. And he's right. It does need to be witnessed. Yeah. We don't always have someone to do that for yeah. us. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, when mm-hmm. it's family or someone close, you're not the only person grieving, so mm-hmm. then you don't want to burden others. Uh, yeah. So... 
And I think when we talked at the very beginning of this conversation about how after, you know, several days or weeks, people sort of go back to their lives. And, and from the supporters' perspectives, I think there's a, a sense or an assumption of not wanting to re-trigger. Yeah. So we're we, feeling like they don't know what to say. Yeah. yeah. They're going to gonna say the wrong things. Yeah. going to make them cry. Yeah. Yeah. And in my experience, working with people or friends or, or, you know, people who I've had some of these really frank conversations with, they say, no, I, w- I want to keep being asked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to keep being prompted of how I'm doing. So maybe yeah. that's something for all of us and maybe the listeners to consider that generally the consensus might be actually, no, keep asking. Yeah. And and maybe not, but we can also ask somebody, right? Mm-hmm. What do you need? How can I best support you? Is it helpful mm-hmm. when I asked about them? Right. Yeah. That's what I always say to people. You don't have to know the right thing. No. You're not the expert on this person. They're there. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and but sometimes they also might not know what they need, mm-hmm. but you just asking them can also just be yeah. an important support. Yeah. yeah. What was it like for you when I asked this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes people, like, um, mm-hmm. when we love somebody, we don't like to see them in pain. Yeah. So we don't, you yeah, know, it's really hard. Too. Right. Yeah, it's right. really hard to see people suffering. Yeah. So we um, we want to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or avoid it. Yeah. Um, and in the fixing, that's mm-hmm. almost like an unintentional, unintentional way of hurrying them yeah. to be okay again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't hurry grief, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has its own timeline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is important that when people are, like, if strategies that, you know, you know, we've offered enough strategies, like, say, over a period of three months and nothing is working, you know, I do, I would encourage people to reach out to their, their you know, healthcare provider yeah. Yeah. that way just to have that conversation. And, you know, look at could there be something physical contributing to this or may I need medication to help me through this very difficult chapter of my life? Mm-hmm. You know, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Right? So it's often a combination of both. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And with the idea being that it's not forever. No. But to kind of clear that path to that's do some right. of the deeper, harder work. Yeah. 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 What about grief versus trauma and how they overlap and what you've noticed Mm-hmm. in your career thus far with that. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> so it's been my experience mm-hmm. that um, loss can be very traumatic. Yeah. So, and what I mean by that, we know now as mental health practitioners that trauma is not just about the event that happens, but the impact of an event on a person. Right. So when someone's world has stopped because they've lost their person and their whole reality has now been rearranged and they have to figure out how, exist in the, how to exist in the world, um, that can have a traumatic effect on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in very real ways that resemble things like post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's very real. So when I started working um, with people in their grief, Mm -hmm. not realizing, I guess, even how often that would come up. Right. Um, After a little while, uh, starting to recognize this is a common thread 
This is a common thread throughout my work. This is post what would be described as post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And we're invalidating people's experiences. I mean, we wouldn't invalidate someone who came with trauma due to things we typically label yeah, as only objective things. Yeah, yeah the right. Cata- the catastrophes that could catastrophic yeah. experiences. Yeah. yeah. Which the DSM isn't helping us because it it's not. not expanding no. their okay. definition wide enough. Yeah, and that's my issue with uh, prolonged grief, like that whole, right. you know, right. diagnosis. Yeah. Excuse me. And it's not only called um, prolonged grief, I think that complex grief complex also. Grief. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what you name it, right. it's <laughs> still the same difficult experience. And so really what you're doing by naming it this way mm-hmm. is putting pressure on people to be over things yeah. within a certain time frame. And I'm sorry, that time frame mm-hmm. varies depending on uh, the person themselves, their supports, their history, yep. you know, the relationship with the person, mm-hmm. yeah, and the mm-hmm. resilience. So, like, you know, you got to take that, those things with a grain of salt. Yeah. yeah. And certainly people coming for support um, are not really looking for a diagnosis. No. Mm-hmm. They're looking for help yep. to yeah. get through. Right? Yep. How might it look in terms of the way you show up with your treatment or your plan if you sense that it's maybe more trauma than grief? Yeah. So I will work with people as they are presenting. Right. So if somebody, for example, um, so a common experience in grief is anxiety, like I mentioned. And so the experience of anxiety in our bodies is activation Mm -hmm. right so for some people they're just their heart rate is you know elevated a lot of the time they are um, having racing thoughts they are quote-unquote triggered or activated Mm -hmm. by such things as going to the grocery store Mm -hmm. and seeing a favorite snack of their person's Mm -hmm. or going to an old place where they would go with their person and someone comes up to them and says, oh, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. I miss seeing so-and-so there. Yeah. Like, there's so many firsts that you have to go through after losing Mm -hmm. somebody. It's not just the special days. Yeah. Yeah. It's as simple as, like, you know, going back to church on Sunday alone. Yeah. Or um, Mm -hmm. going to the coffee shop that was your regular and your other person with you is not with you anymore. Right. Or, um, you know. First time you have to take that route where you drive past their house. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or hearing Mm -hmm. or smelling someone that smells like them. Mm -hmm. The unexpected ones. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like just on a personal level, my Mm -hmm. father passed away 21 years ago of lung cancer. Mm -hmm. He was a smoker. So it was a few years there when I would pass by some, like, cigarette smoke, and it was like, whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Right. Hold on now. Now I recognize why that experience was what it was for me. But we have that. Mm -hmm. Because our bodies remember. Our senses remember. And so we owe it to ourselves to honor where we are with that. And find ways to nurture our nervous systems. And that starts with validation of our experience. And then the tools that I have as a counselor Mm -hmm. who has been trained now in you know some ways to work with to trauma. work with people who mm-hmm. have the trauma experience yeah. 
and uh, to help them regulate. Mm -hmm. Not that you won't ever be activated, mm -hmm. and not that you won't ever stop craving, um, because how can you ever not be sad for losing your person? Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just that the experience changes yeah. somewhat, yeah. so we can support people who are finding themselves in that place. Right. Um, and you can learn to take care of your body yeah. and your mind to heal the traumatic impact that your loss has had on you. Right. Yeah. That is possible. Yeah. It takes time and support, mm -hmm. but it can be done. Yeah. Right? It's bringing people to a place where they have choice again yeah. of, okay, I'm noticing that this is what's happening in my nervous system, yeah. but now I have access to these tools that can allow me to bring myself back to a different state or yeah. a different mode. Yeah. Whereas before, maybe that level, it's there's no choice. Right. It's like, this is the way that I am, and I, and I have no way out. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're stuck there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what you said about the senses is powerful, too, because trauma and stress and, and all of these bits they are so we now know and understand that they're so rooted in in the five senses mm -hmm. and we don't talk about that as much with grief mm -hmm. so I think it's important yeah, to name that overlap of a smell and a taste and a sound and how that really brings us right back yeah mm -hmm. well I was going to say, bring us full circle to the cookies. Right. Yeah. Right? So depending on what your experience was like, yeah. working through the grief of your nan, yeah. having that cookie be like, oh my gosh, that's nan, Pet nan Petten, right? Nanny Petten. Nanny yeah. Petten's cookie. Mm -hmm. Like, how you're, you could have responded to that taste could have been very different. True. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm. So I'm, I'm a music integrated therapist. Mm -hmm. And I'm um, not a music therapist. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Right. <laughs> And I, I have a lot of respect for the profession of music therapy, mm -hmm. so I just want to be clear about that. Yeah. So when we talk about sound, and sound can be activating certain things that we hear, that includes music. Mm -hmm. So music is very powerful, as all the arts are and can be, um, but music can also be a, another way to um, integrate into your support within the counseling space to move you forwards mm -hmm. in meeting your wellness goals because that's yeah. what we do we yeah. set goals yeah. and goals could be like processing your grief mm -hmm. or learning ways to um, take care of your nervous system for example so music has uh, can be a really effective way of doing that so when I did um, so I did a training last year three months training program and it was under the direction of a music therapist and there's formal like modalities within music therapy or ways we use music we had the opportunity to focus on one of those modalities and I chose listening because I felt it would probably be most accessible in the counseling setting right right so we um, when we use music uh, in counseling what we're doing is being very intentional about how and why we listen to music mm -hmm. and different ways of doing that so just a couple of examples of that can be um, sometimes we will use a song that has personal significance uh, to a person, for example, who has lost somebody. And they might say, and this is only when clients are open to using music this way and if it's appropriate, so we might say, okay, 
there's a certain song that I um, I cry every time I hear it and so I'm listening to it over and over or I can't listen to it at all whatever mm-hmm. it, you know but it's impactful for them yeah. so one of the things we might do is um, because the song might be somewhat activating so first we do work on regulation so that could be a little bit of breath, breath work um, because the deep breathing is helpful in regulating um, so we're just trying to resource and then we listen to the song for a specific reason. So we might be um, listening to it to analyze the lyrics, for example. So when we listen, we're listening to the words and then looking at what comes up for you when you hear certain words. Afterwards, of this, after we listen, sometimes I'll have the lyrics printed out for the client and for myself. And we may go through line by line the meaning that they attach to the different lyrics Mm. and why that is because it's about their loss Mm. so it's an opportunity and sometimes that's very literal you know other times it's figurative something reminds or symbolizes and um, but it can be a, a way of trying to make sense of different aspects of a loss coming to terms with the loss, what losing your person means for you, or it could be something about, you know, it could be a song that reminds you of your person and of special things you did together, right? right? There's so many possibilities. Mm-hmm. It's one of the more beautiful things about music is that mm-hmm. no matter what the inspiration was behind it being written, we get to attach whatever meaning we want to. There's that it. choice again. Yeah, there and, is. Yeah, you get to decide. Yeah. And even what you you get mm-hmm. from a, a yeah. song now, in mm-hmm. 10 years, it might be different. Right. Yeah. Right? Depending. So we do song analysis, lyric analysis. Sometimes we'll um, curate a playlist for a specific purpose. So, for example, music that you know is comforting for you. Mm-hmm. Or say if a person is, going back to trauma again, are stuck in hypo arousal and are just like finding it hard to get moving yeah. and to get going but we, we I mean who hasn't put on certain tunes because it gets you motivated oh, yeah. and gets you going right totally. and puts you in a different space mood wise so we look at well what do you what would you typically use what music would you use for that purpose and what would speak to you right now mm-hmm. for where you are and so let's create a playlist together that's personal and meaningful that's awesome and works yeah. for you right so and that's yeah. just two examples yeah. there's really I'm very passionate about this <laughs> there's <laughs> endless possibilities of right. ways you can use music but um, and you don't mm-hmm. have to be a musician to do that right. like you just you know most of us are at least passive consumers of music for sure it's in the background in some yeah. way or another so this is just really about being intentional about how we use music to help someone move um, towards being well again yeah Thanks for bringing that in. I, it's really powerful, the impact songs can have, even if we put on a playlist and it's like, what does this song remind us of? And then we go back to 2006 or we were here, we were there. And, or we've also joked over the years, I think, about how why don't we study 
you know, with lyrics because I can remember every word to, to a every song, song from grade five. Yeah, but well, probably because <laughs> you had to write them out. Yeah, <laughs> did or, you? Or no, you're not. That. No, I mean like oh, on okay. the radio, like yeah. a song yeah. that we used to listen to. Come on now, and I yeah. still remember every single yeah. word. Yeah. <laughs> so there, I think there's so many ways that we know there's so much power there behind is. music. So thanks for bringing that in. Yeah, and, and all of the creative arts. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. you know, we do, I bring in writing a lot, too, mm-hmm. to my work with people. Yeah. And um, it's just another way to help process your experience mm-hmm. and make sense. Yeah. It's all we're trying to do yeah. is just trying to make sense of our world. And the thing with mm-hmm. most arts, too, is it's such a mindful activity, right? right. You're using sure. a sense in some way and keeping yourself in that present. Yeah. So it's, it's healing in that sense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can be... Um, sometimes easier to talk about music mm-hmm. or to write in, you know what I mean, certain yeah. ways, poetry or prose or, you know, as opposed to talking and talking and talking. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes it just becomes Exhausting. too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Good. Well, there's been a lot of really rich information in this session, and I thank you so much for uh, being here. Yeah, Usually. pleasure. I and thank you for yeah. your work and all that you bring to the oh, calm place too. and all your clients there's so yeah. i think all the time i how blessed they are to have you oh thank you oh. I, it's a privilege to meet people mm-hmm. in this these chapters mm-hmm. of their lives right. knowing that they will be okay yeah. right and just showing them how yeah. yeah i love the concept of the bridge that you brought in yeah beautiful. that was great so as you know, because you do listen to our podcast, yes, I, I know do. this. I'm a regular listener. <laughs> Top <laughs> fan. <laughs> we appreciate in, it. In one of our first launched episodes, Michelle caught a quick error that yeah. we made. Oh. texted us and said, oh, seven minutes in. And we knew within it's a few minutes. It's warning. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Well, I think, I think it was set to release at 8, and I got the text 8.06. I was like, okay, she was probably the only one that heard it. We're okay. Count on me. So as you know, (laughs) we ask at the end, how will you do something to find your calm this week? Yeah. And I do many things Mm -hmm. (laughs) to cultivate calm in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I do daily is how I start my day. So I tend to wake up earlier than everyone else in my household. And I go out and I put on the coffee and my glass of water then I take my coffee and I go back to bed mm-hmm. and that's when I meditate right. so sometimes it's 10 minutes sometimes it's half an hour mm-hmm. depending on the day sometimes I listen to a guided meditation mm-hmm. depending on how I'm feeling sometimes I sit in silence or put on some music mm-hmm. and I give myself that time to be with my own self and be in my body, know how I'm feeling, know what I'm thinking, and just starting the day with awareness yeah. and mindfulness. Mm. And the days I don't do that are very different. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I do try to do that throughout the day yeah. too, but that's one thing yeah. because that's like sometimes even five or ten minutes. It sets the stage. It sets yeah. the stage for the rest of yeah. the day. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I just need to say that I think listening to your voice is a way that we can all find calm. <laughs> You're welcome to all the listeners that got to listen to you for the last oh, hour. Yeah. Well, my voice is actually a little bit scratchy because right. I haven't been talking all day. Oh. So <clears throat> thank you for coming in after working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. My absolute pleasure. Mm-hmm. Thank you for wanting to 
talk about this and I know that it can be difficult yeah. because we all have personal experiences yeah. with it, right? Mm-hmm. So thanks for creating space mm-hmm. and giving me the opportunity to share a little bit about it. <laughs>